Welcome to the Living Parables Podcast, where we uncover spiritual truth and lessons God has given us through His Word and our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all the listeners tuning in the show today, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate every single one of you, and now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new week, brand new episode. We are getting close to the very end of our book study in the book of Ephesians. We are today in chapter five. And I'd like to take this moment to say thank you to all the listeners who tune in every single week, who diligently study the scriptures to help them in their progression towards sanctification. And that's why we're here. We're here to help you in that process, to help illumine the scriptures that the Holy Spirit reveals. And we are just uh, grateful to be a part of your journey, your walk. And although maybe we may not meet on this earth, but one day in heaven we will. And that's a glorious thought. And so, and that's, and that's why we're here. We're here to just exalt God and his grace and his goodness and his splendor and to glorify him. And that's why our motto is kind of turned into or our slogan has turned into everything is in Christ with Christ and for Christ. And that's just what, that's just what I've come to conclude after all my years of study. And I will be a lifelong learner of Jesus Christ and his goodness and you know, it talks about it in Peter where we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's just that's just what I'm doing. And basically, my, my studies overflow into this platform. And so I'm just grateful that you guys are a part of it. So with that being said, as you know, we have the last few weeks have transitioned to a new way of doing things. So instead of reading a whole entire set of verses, we are going to go ahead and start from the very beginning. And I will just disclaim this at this point that today we are going through the whole chapter five today in the book of Ephesians. So this is going to be a very, very powerful study. This is going to be one that you might want to have a pen and paper with you, take some notes, make sure you have your Bibles available. If you don't for any reason, and like you're in the car or at a place where you can't, um, that's fine too. But I would highly encourage you to have a Bible with you and do not just take my word for it. Make sure that you are following along with me. Also, you may have remembered, this has been a long time since I've said this, but I actually use the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, the 1995 version. I bought a 77 version without even knowing. And let's just say I really, really appreciate the 95 version. So with that being said, let's go ahead and start in verse one. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. My friends, verse one, I could literally do a whole entire podcast study on just that verse. It is so deep. It is so rich. And here's the amazing part about studying the Bible. I could read it just like this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. My friends, we are to be just like God, our father. 
just like we are as children, like our fathers. And understand at the end of verse one that we are beloved children. So we are God's beloved. Do you see how do you see how rich that that is rich? But you can go so much deeper. You can go so much deeper. And if you are in the beginning stages of your walk and you don't have a lot of knowledge, a lot of depth to your walk, then that would be enough for you. But if you are a seasoned Christian, if you've been around the block a time or two, you know as well as I do that there are so many cross-references you can make to this. There are so many avenues you can go. And that that's just the beautiful part about about God is that he knows, he knows that a lot of us are spiritually, um, infants. He knows that some of us are little, maybe a little more older and some of us are seasoned in our walk. And so it's okay to understand that there are different levels. Now here on the living parables podcast, and we've talked about this several times, but on this podcast, we dig deeper. We go deep. And I try not to go super deep, but just enough to where it is enough for you to be edified and for you to really understand the full depth of the scriptures. And just, again, another disclaimer, I don't read these scriptures and ever ask the question, what does this mean to me? That's not what we're doing here. What I'm doing is I want the Holy Spirit to illumine the scriptures, to reveal what God is really saying in the scriptures, not what Nate has to say, not what Nate thinks, because no one wants that. I don't want that. All I want to know is what God has to say. How can I become closer to him? How can I obey him better? That's what it is. That's what it's all about. We're expositing the word of God. We're going through it verse by verse and explaining what the scriptures mean. So, Let's go again back to verse one and let's dig a little deeper. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, imitators, if you imitate somebody, well, you do exactly what they do. This here is used in a positive note. And we follow the example of the supreme model of holiness, and that is God. I want to take you to Matthew 5, verse 48. Here's a cross-reference for you. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. If you read that scripture, you understand fully. If you are a born-again, spirit-controlled, spirit-led Christian, you know that is impossible. It is impossible. Because in Matthew 5, we read the Beatitudes. And the first Beatitude right out of the gate in verse 3 of chapter 5 in Matthew says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not talking about not having any spiritual money. It's not talking about how you have to give up every single earthly possession to earn salvation. Being poor in spirit means you are spiritually bankrupt. You have nothing to offer God spiritually that can earn your way to his grace and favor. But that's what we do nowadays. People teach that you can do that. If you, you know, you're a Christian, 
but you have to live a better life. So if you're, if you're backsliding too much, you know, you're just, you're not Christian enough. That's not at all biblical. We come to the understanding that we have absolutely nothing to offer. We are spiritual beggars. And what do beggars do? They beg for money. But what do spiritual beggars do? They beg Christ. They fall to his knees. And and the person says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I cannot get to you alone. On my own and on my good deeds, I cannot enter your grace and your favor and your salvation. I can't do it alone. And you are, when was the last time you begged for something? I mean, truly begged for something. If you think about it, as an adult, that's not too popular because we don't want to humble ourselves like that. But let's say you're really, really desperate. When was the last time? Probably when you were a kid and you begged your parents for some materialistic thing and you begged and begged and begged. And what happened? When you finally got it, you were happy for a second and then on to the next thing. But when was the last time you truly begged for something, you pleaded for something that you absolutely desperately wanted? How much more then is salvation? And that's what we have to do. We understand that there is nothing that we can offer So we beg Christ for his mercy and his grace because there's nothing we can do. Imagine this for a minute, though. You have to to be on the same level with me. Salvation is is a grace and gift of God. Eternity is a long time, my friends. That is a very, very long time. Now, understanding that salvation cannot be earned by any human means. So what do we do? We we understand that our situation is completely hopeless. If I were to die right now, there's no way I, I would be in heaven. So you kind of inwardly start to panic and you start to get nervous and you start, I mean, I'll just tell you right now, when I was 12 and 13 years old, I read a little booklet about basically the gospel and not having Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that's a, that's a thought that went through my mind as a 12-year-old young man. Eternity is a long time. And so I, I was like, well, if I die, I'm, I'm going to be lost forever. I don't want that. I mean, literally, for lack of a better word, scared the hell out of me, for real. And so the, the reality, my friends is that this grace that we have is so magnificent, so wonderful, that it it really goes beyond words. It really does. And you're probably wondering, well, what does this have to do with being imitators of God? Well, we read... In the 48th verse of Matthew chapter 5, we are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we talked a little bit. We kind of deviated from that path a little bit. I will agree. We deviated because I want us to fully know because there's so many people that think they're Christians and they're not. And they wrestle with that. They struggle with it. 
Christianity is not identifying yourself with a, with a religion or with a church because when you were 10 years old, you confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior through a, a little magical prayer. That's not what that is at all. There's so much more depth to it than that. But I digress, and we've done we've done studies and podcasts on the gospel, so I would heavily encourage you to check that out. But being imitators of God, the Christian, the true Christian, has no greater calling or purpose than that of imitating his Lord. That is the very purpose of sanctification, growing in the likeness to the Lord while serving him on earth. The Christian life is designed to reproduce godliness as modeled by the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose image believers have been recreated through the new birth. As God's dear children, as his beloved, we as believers are to become more and more like our Heavenly Father, and we are to be more and more conformed to the image of God's Son. And that is the ultimate goal, my friends. That is that is why I study. That is why I do what I do. That's why I study more and more as I have become older. I used to be consumed with materialistic things. I talked a little bit about it last week, but I was really consumed with uh, my favorite football team. I knew everything about them. It would alter my mood if they lost. And, you know, my my whole week would be like surrounded and geared towards Sunday after church. My life was church, work, and football and family. And as much as church is an amazing gift of God, but Christ is the only one worthy enough to have first place in our hearts. Everything else is idolatry. And so as imitators of God, we as his children cannot be like him. We can't imitate him if we don't pick up our Bibles and read about who he is. You know, my children... At times, they walk like me, they talk like me, and they act like me. It's a humbling thing to watch your children and see how they are, which is reminiscent of me as a child, and some of the wordage they use that is exactly what I say. And some of the things I say to you, my friends, are things that my father has told me over the years. So it's actually a really cool thing. It's almost like a heritage type of thing. And uh, the the reality, my friends, is that, and I'll say this one more time, we cannot be children of God. We can't imitate him if we don't know who he is and what he says to do and not to do. And if you recall, the very first word in chapter 5 is, therefore, well, when you look at the therefores, they're there for a specific reason. And you have to look at the previous statement or teaching to understand why the therefore is there. I know I said there like about 500 times right there. But 
last week we talked about Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 32. It was talking about the Christian's walk, how we are supposed to conduct ourselves as Christians, how we are supposed to be, and how we're supposed to not be. And this picks up on that, but we're talking about things not to do, things to do. And basically, Paul here is saying, therefore, with all those things I just said, therefore, we need to be imitators of God. And you, like I said before, and I'm I'm re-emphasizing this, that this is the third time now. I'm sorry to do this to you, but I cannot stress enough how important this is. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Children act like their parents. And sometimes I see my sons and they the way they act, and sometimes it's like their mother. Sometimes it's just like me. And you know, my kids have to, in order to act like me and talk like me and walk like me, they have to see me for doing that stuff. They have to hear me talk. They have to see me walk. They have to see me how I conduct myself. Remember that story I told you about where I was at the football game? We're not going to go there, but I was at the pro football game, Chiefs and Steelers, and I had those drunken people in front of me and they were just being not nice and not good. Let's just put it that way. Well, I had a choice to make. I could have let my emotions take over. I could have let my emotions carry me and do things. I could have let my anger get the best of me. But first off, I am a child of God by his grace. And I want to imitate God. How can I show those people grace if I slug them in the head? You can't. You just can't do that. That would be the opposite of what God would do. I mean, what did Jesus do when people spit in his face and slap him in the face and beat him with rods, all those things? He he turned the other cheek. He forgave them. I mean, we're I'm not I'm not I wasn't dealing with physical danger. I was dealing with people insulting my team, which again, I, I, anymore I'm not that consumed with that anymore but still what did christ do what did he show us through the way he lived well he served and even when people insulted him and when the pharisees whom whom they were people he came to save they called him a blasphemous samaritan a demon possessed blasphemous samaritan that is the cheapest shot you can take on somebody at that point in time in that history, in that region. That was the lowest of the low. They were calling the most holy those awful things. And I'm telling you, Jesus didn't react that way. And that's how we have to be. We have to be imitators of God. And I know what you're thinking right now. Wow, Nate, it's been like 15 minutes and we're still on verse 1. I know. I know it. Do you see how deep this can go? And we should probably move on because verse 2 tags along exactly and perfectly to that point. And we walk in love. Walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you, here it is, and gave himself up for us. I want to take us to two scriptures here. John 10, 16 through 18. So if you have your Bibles, 
John 10, 16 through 18. By the way, John chapter 10 is an amazing book and chapter. Amazing. So the 16th verse says this, I have other sheep which are not of this fold, talking about the Gentiles. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, verse 17, the Father loves me because I lay my life down so that I might take it up again. Verse 18, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. He lays his life down for the sheep. He lays his life down for us. In John 15, 13, which is a very, very basic foundational scripture. But I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, listen to this. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And right before that, in verse 12, this is my commandment. You, you want to obey Jesus Christ? You want Is he really your Lord, Master, and Savior? Well, here's his commandment to us, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And not just people that we get along with, not just our pals, but those who despise us, who hate us, who persecute us. It's all right there. That's why John is one of my absolute favorite, favorite books in all the Bible. I can get so lost in that. But we're supposed to walk in love. And that's how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. And by the way, to walk in love means to live. We live in love. And why? Why do we do that? Well, I'm going to take you to 1 John chapter 4. We've done this study before. We want to be imitators of God. Okay. It says to walk in love just as Christ also loved us. Well, let's take a look here in 1 John chapter 4. Starting in the eighth verse, says, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He is not a love, he is love. He is the reason why we love. Okay? So, if we want to be imitators of him and God is love, we must be in love. That's, that's what we must be. We must be love. And again, not just for those who we're friends with and family with, but for those people who are dead, dying, and lost, who mistreat us, who treat the faith with contempt, who treat this wonderful, beautiful faith as something that is cartoonish and mythical and could be compared to the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus, all those kind of things. We must pray for them. We must love them. And here's the, here's the kicker. We must lay down our lives for those people. Because if Christ didn't do that, he wouldn't be who he is. Think about that. Did he die for you because you were perfect? When you encounter Christ for the first time and you realize that your sins nailed him to the cross and that he rose again so that we could be justified 
that he would impute his righteousness into our spiritual account? Were you perfect? Were you righteous? Were you holy? Or were you self-righteous, self-deceived, and broken and lost and dead? And you realize that he was the only hope, and he is the only hope. So, he gave himself up for us, an offering, and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Jesus was God's lamb, a sin offering to atone for our sins. This, this fragrant aroma that we're talking about at the end of verse 2, it's a sweet smell. God's redemptive plan through Christ was well-pleasing to God. Now, this is where it gets a little bit rocky. Verse 3, But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Immorality is... Any sexual sins, any sexual related sins outside of the sanctity of marriage or any impurity or greed, lusting for a greater number of temporal things that go beyond what God determines is eternally best. And it must not even be named among you. If you steal, remember in chapter four, if you steal, steal no longer. You lie, you not lie no longer. If you lust, lust no longer. That's why we talked last week about Romans 12 too. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds because we don't conform to the image of this world any longer. As is proper for the saints. We are to be imitators of God. It is that simple. And... Those three sins that we've talked about, immorality, impurity, and greed, which encompass many, many different sins. Listen when I say this. They contrast the holiness of God. And that's not how we live. But we must love one another. And we must not have any of those sins named among us. People shouldn't look at me and say, well, you know what? Nate says he's a Christian, but boy, he struggles with pornography. He's so greedy. It's all about him. It's what he wants. I saw Nate walking out of the strip bar. Those are some things to think about. Our lives are a living sacrifice to God. And what does a living sacrifice mean? Anything that we have in our lives that are sinful, we must acknowledge that they are sinful, that they are unholy, and they are against what God wills for us we must do away with. We must not flirt with it. We kill that sin dead in its tracks. 
And talk about living sacrifices. And talk, speaking of Romans 12, let's just go there real quick. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So under the old covenant, God accepted the sacrifices of dead animals. We, we know that. But because of Christ's ultimate sacrifice, the Old Testament sacrifices are no longer of any effect. For those in Christ, the only acceptable worship is to offer ourselves completely to the Lord. Under God's control and the believer's yet unredeemed body can and must be yielded to him as an instrument of righteousness. In our spiritual service, in light of all the spiritual riches, believers enjoy solely as the fruit of God's mercies. It is logically that follows that they owe God their highest form of service. And that is our lives. That is our lives. We dedicate, we lay down who we think we are in the form of a slave serving our holy master. Verse 4, And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. My friends, this is another conversation, another teaching, if you will, about what should come out of our mouths. No obscenities, no indecencies. And the Greek for silly talk means literally foolish or moronic words. Coarse jesting, that means joking in a rude, sexual, crude manner. Saying something as a joke doesn't make it right just because you don't mean it. I believe I said that, something similar to that last week too. Honestly, that was one of the reasons why I desperately wanted to get out of construction. I know what you're thinking. Nate, you never told us that you were in construction before. Oh, yes. And just to let you know, and not to make me sound all righteous and holy, but I put scripture on my hard hat. And I meant it. And I wanted people to see it. I don't hide from anybody what what Christ has done for me and what he's impacted me and how he saved my life and how I want them to be saved as well. I don't hide from that. I got a lot of good people um, that were believers that have actually said, Hey, what does that say in your uh, helmet there? And I tell them and they go, Oh wow. Yeah, that's cool. I'm a Christian too. I'm like, Oh, that's all. That's so cool. You just, you just never know. But we, are the hope of a dead and dying world. We are the only hope. And not we as people, but it's Christ in us. Christ is the only hope. But we are not supposed to talk that way because I'm telling you, in construction, it's not just construction. It's even in the schools with teachers, my friends. Don't be surprised. This world that we live in is a dead and dying world full of sinful people. We have just now bought into this illusion as a whole society that we're supposed to tolerate people for the sake of love. And we're supposed to tolerate this behavior because it's, it's because we gotta be loving. 
got to be loving people. We got to be graceful. But filthy talk, silly talk, crude joking, that has no place in the life of a believer ever. And I'm going to tell you right now, and I don't like saying this out loud, but I am guilty of that. And I hate to admit that. And that's one thing that when I get, when I get around certain situations and scenarios, I, I fail. And every time I end up confessing to my Lord and then I'm so sorry. And I have to be diligent in killing that sin off. So I'm working on it. It doesn't happen very often, but when it does, I always confess. But that just shows you I'm just a man. But I desire to be holy as God is holy. And that's one of the aspects I have to rid myself of. That kind of talk right there. So it, this... This right here is beat me up pretty good, but it's not fitting for those who are called. But what should our speech rather be? It should be edifying. It should be grace seasoned with salt. But here at the end of verse four, but rather giving the thanks. That is fitting. Verse five, for this, you know, with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous person who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let me say that one more time. Verse 5. You know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Period. There is no inheritance for those people who fall into those categories. In verse 6, listen to this. Let no one, no one, parents, siblings, friends, church members, even pastors, deceive you with empty words. Does that sound really familiar to you? That part with the empty words? Let's go to our last book study in the book of Colossians. Go to Colossians 2 with me. Go to verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. No one deceive you. Now let's listen to the end of verse 6. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. My friends, the church is scared to talk about sin, the wrath of God, hell. Because if I make people feel bad about themselves, they're going to run away from church. They're going to leave and never come back. Well, I, I got to tell you something here. And I don't like to toot my own horn here, but I started a prayer group at my job. I started a prayer group, and the actual job itself has a Facebook page, a private Facebook page. And, you know, the name is inappropriate. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to combat it with, with some truth here. With I'm going to combat it with, with Christ. 
So what I did is I posted on there that I, I would be more than happy to start a prayer group, to pray for people, and to help them through this year. And I'll tell you, it started off pretty strong. Started off with about less than 10 people. I'm not sure exactly the number. I should have taken that number down. But we started out with that. Now, what they thought this was going to be was a kumbaya, hold your hand, make you feel good type of thing. And honestly, they had about a 20-minute gospel presentation that I included sin, hell, and God's redemption and what Christ did for us on the cross and taking that from us. And I'll just tell you right now, guess how many times we've met since that point? Zero. Because it went from, let's just say the number was about 10, went down to 10, to 5, to 4, to 2, to 1, and now we don't meet at all. And so it goes to show you why the church is scared of really telling the true story of the gospel. Because we don't want to offend people. We don't want to hurt people's feelings. Well, I got news for you. The gospel in the Greek means the good news. People hear that all the time. It's the good news. But you cannot have good news without bad news. And the bad news is that if you are without Christ, you are destined for hell because people believe that, well, God just hates the sin and not the sinner. Well, he doesn't send the sin to hell. He sends the sinner to hell. And it says in Scripture, especially, I'll have to find it specifically, but in Psalm, God's, God says, God abhors the wicked. He's angry with the wicked every day. We don't like to hear about that. We want, a, we want a nice, friendly God that doesn't impose on our will and doesn't impose um, His righteousness on us because it makes us feel guilty. That's, the, that's one of the Spirit's jobs is to convict us of our sin. Yet we don't, we don't have fidelity in the pulpit with that because... Because we're scared of losing members. We're scared of losing people. And boy, that, that is such a dangerous ground to walk on because, because preachers have one of the most privileged, God-honoring positions you could have. And that, my friends, is to preach the full message of the gospel and not hinder it with worldly concerns. And that's what we do. We we get scared because, oh, we're going to lose money. We're going to lose membership. Who cares? God is not going to judge you on how many members in the church you add. He's not going to judge you on worldly things. He's going to judge you based upon his righteous holy law. He's going to judge you on if you have his son as your Lord, Master, and Savior or not. He's not going to say, you know, Nate, I, I noticed uh, here that you went to church, you know, five times this year, and 
last year you went, you know, you went a little bit more. That so that's good. So I I'm gonna let you in. Now, you know, I noticed that you read the Bible, you know, uh, this many times, and uh, the, the the requirement is this many. Sorry, that's not what we're doing. Now, don't get me wrong, we should be in the Bible every single day. But I'm what I'm saying is we're not going to be judged on worldly type of concerns. We're be, we're be judged according to the righteous holy law that is God that reflects God's holy nature. But no, absolutely no immoral person, no impure or covetous person, no idolater is going to enter the kingdom of God. They have no inheritance. And we're not going to let anybody in verse 6 deceive us with empty words because God's wrath is upon those sons of disobedience. Have you heard that before? Yes, you have. Here's verse 7. Here's another therefore. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Partakers with who? The immoral people, the impure the covetous, the idolaters, the people that deceive you with empty words. It says, do not be partakers with them. Have nothing to do with them. And those are the willful unbelievers. If you have people in your life right now that you consider a brother or sister, and not we're not talking in the family sense, but if you have a friend that is an outright unbeliever sometimes you gotta cut them loose well nate i've been a friend with them for 20 30 years well i can just tell you in in corinthians bad company corrupts good character well i'm too solid that won't ever happen to me yeah well it's probably happening to you right now that's why you're saying that you cannot be partakers with the willfully disobedient because verse 8 says this for you were formerly darkness but now 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 you are light in the lord we are only light in the lord and here comes right here are you ready for this walk as children of light light is capitalized why Because Jesus said he is the light of the world. We are his children. We follow him. We don't have any goodness within us. We don't have any spiritual light within us on our own. Christ illumines us and we shine his glorious light, his truth, his holiness, his righteousness, his words, his gospel. We shine that to a dead and dying world. Now, listen to what that children of light means here in the parentheses. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Christ living within us to produce the fruit of the light. To be walking, living as children of light, we must be fruitful in those aspects of goodness and righteousness and truth. That's what we need to be consumed with. Not who's going to go in the playoffs. Not consuming food, not consuming drinks, not being conformed into this world, but we need to be focused on goodness, righteousness, and truth. Verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Oh, that right there, my friends. 
is your life consumed with you being focused and driven by what is pleasing to the Lord? Are you trying to learn what that means? You should be. I should be. Every day, every single day, our prayer needs to be. You know what? That's a challenge. That's the next challenge. For the, for this next week, my friends, I'm going to join you in this challenge. This is completely spur of the moment. This is not in my notes. Every day, let's pray this prayer. Now, not as parrots, but from the heart. Let's, let's pray. Lord, help me to learn what is pleasing to you. Now, what do we do after we pray that prayer? Sit and wait for God to break open our roof and say, okay, here's what's pleasing to me. No. Why? Because all divine revelation has been given to us in Holy Scripture. Do you want to know what's pleasing to the Lord? Open up your dusty Bible then. Open it up. Because that's how you're going to find out what pleases the Lord. Verse 11. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Did you hear that? All deeds of darkness, all sin, all the sin we just talked about, all the sin we talked about last week is unfruitful deeds of darkness. But instead, even expose them. Uh-oh, wait a minute. We got to talk about sin. We have to expose sin. We have to tell people who we know, who we work with, who we live with, who our family is. We have to expose their darkness. No. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. We have to. Now, do we do that in such a way that is condescending and damning to them? No. How are we supposed to talk to them? Do you remember in Colossians where it says that we are to speak with what? Grace. Let's go there. Do you remember where it was? It's Colossians 4, verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. It all connects. That should excite you. It's it's exciting me. We expose them by being graceful. But here's the other thing. We have to understand that when Jesus encountered sin, he didn't beat around the bush. He didn't water it down. He didn't gloss over anything. He exposed it for what it was, but he did it in such a way that was authoritative and graceful and in love. Remember, we're, we're supposed to walk in love. You can't walk in love if you're angrily condemning somebody to hell over their sin. Do you see how that works? We have to be graceful. We have to be loving, compassionate, but also authoritative to say, God's word says this is sin, and you are going to be in the wrath of God, you're going to be outside of the inheritance of God. You will not participate in that. And your deeds of darkness are unfruitful. And they are causing that wrath of God to be stored up more and more and more and more until when it's finally unleashed on you in hell, it's going to be so overwhelmingly painful and miserable and agonizing that we don't want anybody, even our worst enemies, to go there. Verse 12, For it is a, a disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. And most evil happens in secret, in the dark. 
because it is disgraceful and it goes against what God says we need to live like. And you know what? Most of us know exactly what our sins are, that they're evil, they're wrong, and there's something inside of us that is telling us, whoa, that was wrong. Verse 13, but all things become, excuse me, but all things become visible even when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. We got to shine Christ's light on the darkness. So do we ride in with our high horse and our supremest self and our self-righteousness and look down on people and, and expose their, their deeds of darkness like that? No. No, but we gracefully, authoritatively, with the light of Christ, expose their deeds of darkness because we use Scripture. We need to speak Scripture. We need to be praying Scripture. Not something we just come up with, with trying to reinvent the wheel here. We live Scripture. We breathe Scripture. We talk Scripture. So you're at the workplace, let your words be of Scripture. And guess what? You cannot be that way if you don't have the Word of Christ richly dwelling within you. And you can't be that way if you are never if you're never around it. You're never consumed in it, never saturated with the Word. If you read it once a week, that's not going to do you any good. Do you water your plants once a week? I don't think so. No. You don't. You got to water them every single day or they're going to die. Your souls are, they should be thirsting for the word in such a way that you're on a hot summer day. It's 100 degrees outside. You're working outside because your wife wants you to complete a, a project outside. Sorry, man. And you're out there and you're, and you're, you're working so hard. And man, you're just so dry. Your lips are just completely parched. They're, they're turning white. And then, here, standing, right on the deck there, is a big, cold glass of ice water. With the outside of the glass dripping down with that sweat. And you look at that and like, oh man, I need that so bad right now. That's what our souls are should be like to the word of God. It also compares the word of God to food, our spiritual food. And you have to get off the milk, people. You can't be infants forever. You have to start eating the meat of the word. And sometimes we don't know what the word says, so we have to dig in deep. And guess what? That might be overwhelming for some of us. Then find a, a person maybe an elder in your church, a deacon in your church, find somebody. It doesn't have to be those either. Find a godly man and have him disciple you. Have him dig deep with you to, to show you what God means in the scripture. Not what, remember, not what the person thinks it means, what God means. Verse 14. For this reason, it says, awake sleeper and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Christ's righteousness and holiness shines on us, giving us life through his grace and faith. And I always, 
I always talk about this every week, but 2 Corinthians 5.21, he became sin on our behalf. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. And my friends, it doesn't get any more amazing than that. So let's go to verse 15. Therefore, there's another therefore, be careful how you walk. Another way we can say it, be careful how you live. Our new lives in Christ aren't to be reckless and carefree, but they are to be obedient, humble, and righteous. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. The unwise means foolish due to the rejection of God's leading. Now, what does it mean to be wise then? Well, that's the opposite of foolish to the rejection of God's leading. Always mindful of God and his ways and his word. Always mindful of that. How often do you think of God in a 24-hour day? How often do you think of him? Is it after you uh, ate most of your food? And, oh, I forgot to pray. God, thank you for this food and this day. Thank you for so much. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Do you pray at night before you go to bed? Do you pray when you wake up in the, in, the, in the morning? Do you thank God for another day? Do you thank God for another breath? Do you thank God for your heart beating? Do you thank God for the graces and the, and the wonderfulness of life that he has given you? Do you understand that he gives you life, that this life you live is not yours, but it's his, that he graciously gives you though? That the graces that you experience and have and take so much joy in when you see your kids playing and they're just they're smiling and they're having a great time and they come up and they 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 tell you that they love you and that they hug you for no reason at all. That that is God's common grace that even sinners are able to have and experience. But we as believers give God the glory for that. But we don't live as unwise. The unwise don't acknowledge God at all. They don't thank him for anything. They just live and, and eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 16. Oh, are you ready for this? Man, this is just heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. Verse 16. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. We should put that on a shirt. We really should. We should put that on a shirt. Oh, chapter 5, verse 16. Make the most of your time. How are you spending your time? How are you being a good steward of your time? That's not your time at all. It's God's time. We are on this earth as a living sacrifice to God. Bring, we should be bringing Him glory with every hour that we live, every minute that we live. This is just, uh, I, I needed this so bad because what are we doing with our time? Don't waste your time your life living opposite of what God and His holy scripture, His holy ways of living are. Don't be foolish of that. We just went back to that. Don't be unwise of that. But rather devote your life entirely to God. Does that mean that you have to quit your job and, and, and 
become a, a missionary or a preacher. No, that, that's not what it means at all. We need Christian mechanics. We need Christian doctors. We need Christian lawyers. We need Christian judges. We need Christian everything. So you don't have to sacrifice it all and become a and become a preacher. Be where God needs you to be. Remember, the body of Christ cannot be consistent of, of just eyeballs or big toes or ears. We all have a different function, working together to bring glory to Christ in all walks of life. Making the most of your time. That is one thing that is my ultimate pet peeve, if lack for a better word. But that's one of my biggest pet peeves is wasting time. And that was emphasized by my father. He hated wasting time and still does to this day. And I myself am guilty of turning my back on time. Are you guilty of turning your back on time? Do you ever have moments where you are thinking like, yeah, I have these tomorrow. I think I'm going to do this. And then later on in the week we have this going on. And then uh, a month from now I got to get this going and I got all these projects going on. Well, again, man thinks in his wisdom and I air quote wisdom. We have these plans, but God directs the footsteps. But I hate wasting time. And we have to make the most of our time because the days are evil. And my friends, it is getting more evil every single day. There are so many things going on. There are so many evil schemes that are going on. And there's so much going on afoot. That is, it, it's really spooky. But verse 17 though, so then do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And let me tell you something, my friends. The Lord's will is understandable. I asked myself a few months back now, what is God's will? If someone were to ask me that question, what is God's will? What I know. And I'll tell you right now, I wasn't confident. And I'll tell you, I had to go study the scriptures. It isn't a mystery. Many have claimed that it is, but it's not a mystery. The reality, this is going to sound harsh, people are just lazy and uncommitted to seek it in scripture. That's the reality. And just to give you a really, really fast summary of what the will of the Lord is for our lives, because we did an episode on discovering the will of God. And basically, it's God's will for us to be saved, sanctified, spirit-filled, submissive, thankful, and suffering. And I would highly encourage you, if you have not checked that out, to go check it out. But we can understand what the will of the Lord is. And if you don't understand what the will of the Lord is, you are just being foolish. That's the truth. Here comes verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine. Do you understand what that means? Don't get drunk. It, it, 
it doesn't get any more simple than that. We have Christians who are getting smashed and thinking that's okay. Christian, you should not be at a bar. Well, what if I'm evangelizing there? Are you really there to evangelize? Really? I'm not trying to judge, but if you're there uh, drinking with people, I don't know. I just, well, Jesus did. No, he didn't drink with people. The people around him changed. Understand that. Jesus didn't go in saying, you know what? This is my people. This is my crowd. I'm just going to kind of push off this godliness for a minute. And let's just hang out, hang out, hang out with the boys. No. People were radically changed when he was around them. But yeah, we we should be friends of sinners, but only to a limited uh, point. But let's get back to verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine. Do not get drunk with wine. Well, I don't drink wine. I, I drink beer. Don't get drunk with anything that can get you drunk. For that is dissipation. What is dissipation? It's a waste of time and life. It's spiritual wastefulness due to excessive behavior and the dire consequences it brings. So don't get drunk with wine. But what are we supposed to do? But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't mean being filled up as a glass would be filled up with water. But it's spirit-controlled, led by the Spirit. Like a wind that fills up a sail, then the con- then it controls the direction of the ship. People fill themselves with alcohol, then it controls them. Okay? The word, or the Holy Spirit, must be what fills us to control us. Does that make sense? Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So that's how we must be. The result of spiritual surrender to God and being spirit-led and spirit-controlled, we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. That's the result of the joy that God gives us. Verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Always giving thanks for all things. That includes the good and the bad. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, our society says, you know, do do your own truth. Speak your own truth. You are the most important person. Get yours. Stack your money. It's me, me, me. I, I, I. But what does verse 21 say? And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Being subject to somebody means that we place our rank under one another. We have to be subject to one another? How countercultural is that? Very. In the fear of Christ. Does that mean a deathly fear? That means reverence and respect to Christ. And that was perfectly modeled by Christ when he came to this earth 
to serve. Matthew 20, 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. There it is. He came to serve. And we ought to do that too in reverence to Christ. Verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. So here we're talking about the relationship from a wife to a husband and the husband's role. And we actually did a study on this a few episodes back in Colossians. So I would encourage you to go check that out. Verse 24, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be there to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. There is that gave himself up again. Husbands, we need to give ourselves up for our wives. And wives, as being subject to the Lord and obedient to the Lord, they must be subject to their husbands. God has divinely ordained the family to be what it's intended to be, and society has twisted it to where the husband or the man is negligent, uh, not involved, lazy, incompetent, and the wives are the rulers of the household. And a lot of times... That's unfortunately true. Men have taken a backseat to the responsibilities and to what they are called to be. They're called to be the head of the household, and that is countercultural, and that would get me shut down. But being subject to someone or submissive isn't a one-time thing, but it's a continual attitude which transforms into a pattern of behavior. Being in submission or submitting isn't a bad word, but our society flips it and twists it and you know what God ordains is good. But again, we live in a world of disobedience and fallenness that we like to flip the script. A wife submits to her husband out of devotion, love, and obedience to Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? It says, as to the Lord. God designed marriage to be that the man or husband is the head of the relationship. You can find that in 1 Timothy 2.13 and Genesis 2.18-20. But in, in all authorities God has established, there is submission. Citizen to government, flock to shepherd, wife to husband, child to father. Men, that means that we must rise up and be the men that God has called us to be. And let me tell you something, that takes work. That takes, takes self-sacrifice, takes devotion, but that is what God, God has called us to be. Verse 26, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, for no one 
ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. I have to stop here for just a minute and let, let's talk about this for a minute. Christ is making us holy, blameless, and spotless. And we must have that same devotion and desire for our wives. A Christian husband is to care for his wife with the same devotion that he naturally manifests as he cares for himself. Even more so since his self-sacrifice and love causes him to put her first. In the end, a husband who loves his wife in these ways brings great blessing to himself from her and from the Lord. And the same goes with the woman's role. It's a blessing to be in line, in sync with what the Lord ordains as good. Verse 30, because we are members of his body, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. And that's what happens. The two become one flesh. Paul reinforces the divine plan for marriage, which God instituted at creation, emphasizing its permanence and unity. The union of marriage is intimate and unbreakable. Joined. Joined is a word used to express having been glued or cemented together, emphasizing the permanence of the union. In verse 32, the mystery, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Verse 33, nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Men, if we say we love Christ and are devoted to him, it must be evident in us by a truly transformed life. If we love Christ, we will love our wives as ourselves. Our, our love for our wives must mirror our love for Christ. And women, the world and its deception do its worst to tell you subtly to defy God's plan. The abundant life that comes from him to those who are his and follow his ways is far greater than any life on earth without him. Because we live in such a culture that defies what God says, when you see families that, that fit this mold, that are subject to God's will and His plan, they they have that abundant life. They have the joy-filled life, the fruits of the Spirit. They're they're just so happy. They're so full of joy, and that comes that comes through Christ. So as we conclude this wonderful study. My friends, let us always be consumed with being an imitator of our Heavenly Father, to walk in love, to flee from immorality, impurity, greed, from foolish talk, crude joking, filthiness in our speech, let us always be giving thanks. Let us take this gift of grace 
in which we have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God and never look back. Let us not be like Lot's wife, who could not let go of the world, yet turned around when God commanded them not to, and when she did, she turned to a pillar of salt. And let no one deceive you with empty words that the world is greater than what God offers. Let no one deceive you that this holy word of God is anything other than that. Let no one deceive you of those things. Do not be partakers with people whose deeds are full of darkness, but let us walk as children of the light, producing the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And let us learn what it is that is pleasing to the Lord. And sometimes, my brothers and sisters, we have to expose the deeds of darkness by the holy light of Christ. And we need to be careful how we live, and not as wise, but we have to live as wise. We need to make the most of our time because the days are evil, and they're getting more evil and dark every day that goes by. And don't be foolish, my friends, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. Let us always be giving thanks. Always be giving thanks. Let us be subject to one another because that's what Christ did. He subjected himself to this world to serve. And the, the greatest act of service that he did was when he died on the cross. He served as God's sacrificial lamb that was without blemish, that would purify sins and forgive sins and be the absolute perfection of propitiation to satisfy and appease the divine wrath of God. In the sanctity of marriage, we must follow everything that he has commanded, how it should go, how it should be. Let us be imitators of God. So with that being said, I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And remember, my brothers and sisters, that everything is in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ. And until next time, God bless you, my friends.